She's Julie Roxanne. And he's Alistair. And And this this is Far Out, a podcast about stepping off the beaten path and learning to live from our center. As soon as the vans, cl- the van doors closed, I was just like, "Oh no, oh no, they're gonna die." I'm talking to you right now, but there's a high chance that you were dead. You know, at this point in my. <laughs> what do you think the universe's job is? Oh God. I, I know, cause uh, Karina, Karina is my coach, so I know. No, she's I'm gonna fail this. <laughs> okay, I'll just go into it. I'll go into it. <laughs> I'd like you to say st- how, like something around that. Yes, you're throwing like me into the danger it. zone because I don't know if I have my like ideas totally. Oh decided, boy! But, you, and I knew this was going to happen on this podcast because there was two extroverted intuitions versus one introverted intuition. I was like, oh, God, <laughs> he's doing attacks. Like, he's like ganged up on. Yeah, this is going to be hard. <laughs> Far Out Podcast. Welcome, welcome. Wow, this week is special. This week is our second ever interview slash conversation with someone. And today on the show, we have Karina Antonopoulos. Karina is a good friend of both of ours. I actually met her back in San Diego. We were part of a kind of mastermind community together. And uh, that's where I first met her. Yeah, Karina is a life coach for highly sensitive person. So if you think this is the best job title, you're right. It really does sound awesome. <laughs> I actually work with her being a highly sensitive person myself. Alistair is also a highly sensitive person. And so it's some of what we talk about today. Uh, so she focuses, her coaching focuses on relationship and leadership, which um, also is really awesome. I mean, I can't rave about her enough, so bear with me. She has has a podcast called the highly sensitive leadership podcast and uh, on top of that she has the extreme pleasure of living with her family in uh, new york state and she is a new mother to a seven-month-old frankie yeah yeah pretty lucky son yeah that's what i would say i would say so so this conversation goes pretty deep uh and we we start off kind of exploring what it means to be highly sensitive and then we go pretty deep into the idea of intuition, different ways to think about it, to look at it. Karina shares her thoughts, and we basically have a roundtable conversation about what it means to uh, follow our intuition. I think it's really different than the average conversation around intuition because we, all three of us, had interesting and different perspectives on it and what it means and how it actually shows up. So if you're interested, if you want to get more in tune with your intuition, stay tuned. Stay tuned. Let's get right into it. That's right. That's what we say. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. (laughs) Hi, Karina, and welcome to the Far Out Podcast. Hello. So good to be here with both of you. It's good to have you here, Karina. (laughs) We're pretty excited. Um, 
Julie Roxanne, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, yeah. Actually, so we've been thinking about how to do this because we don't usually have people on here with us. You know, like this is our little space and there's someone else. So how can we bring you in for the listener to really get to know you in a fast, efficient way? And we actually, you told us the beginning of a story and we'd like to hear the rest. So mm. it's something about Hawaii and a blonde woman. <laughs> yeah, so I will say that... My husband and I, we decided back in 2010, we wanted to travel together. We quit our jobs and basically just booked a flight to Hawaii without any real plans. And I'm going to just skip ahead to the point of this blonde, big blonde, blonde woman you mentioned. <laughs> so um, we ended up meeting some locals uh, who grew up there, grew up on the big island. And, you know, they, they were telling us, they were showing us the ropes. But one of the things for my husband, Frank, who he came to Hawaii, he said, I'm not leaving Hawaii until I see lava. He's like, the big island is flowing with lava right now. And I need to see it. I want to see it. So we go to the designated place where they say, come see the lava, right? So we go to, <laughs> to the place and basically... You hike to this dirt road, and then there's a barrier, and you can't go any further. And far off in the distance, there's this orange cloud of smoke. And we were really disappointed <laughs> that that was what <laughs> that was what the lava was. So you can't I get too close, right? Lava's hot, yeah. right? So anyway, <laughs> I was kind of like, oh bummer, like guess we can't do this, you know? And actually they had uh, lava tours. So if you wanted to pay, I don't know if it was like 50 bucks or 150 bucks. I don't remember what it was, but it was way more money than we had available to us, right? We were on a strict, strict budget. So I was all ready to leave. You know, we kind of finished our resources. We had a little bit of water left, no more snacks. It was late at night, like maybe nine o'clock, eight thirty, nine o'clock. And Frank was like, no, we're going to see the lava. I have to see the lava. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so he gets out a map and he tr looks at where we need to go on the coast so that we can follow where he thinks the lava is flowing into the ocean. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to like be here. Uh, I'll follow you, but I cannot be the lead here because I do not know what your plan is. I don't know what you want to do. Anyway, we did have headlamps because we just assumed that we would need headlamps for that day. So we had them with us and we drove to the spot where Frank saw on the coast where it would be a good spot to walk. And we saw that people were getting out of vans and going to walk to the lava. So we found where the lava tour left, right? And so we waited for the tour to leave. And then like, you know, a few minutes, we decided to start walking. So we're kind of following, kind of not, you know, like kind of like, oh, well, they're going in that direction. You know, we see the lights going. So anyway, eventually they go a different way and we follow our own coast, coastal direction. And we're walking and walking. And we're like, oh, this is exciting. And we're just walking in all this lava rock. And, you know, it's dark at this point. So all we really see is the little flashlight ahead of us. And as we start to walk closer and closer, we see that big, that small little speck of cloud, orange cloud get, get bigger and bigger. So we know that we're getting closer. We could at least see that. So finally, finally, we get to the, the lava where it's flowing from the earth. And I swear it was the most epic, surreal moment of my life. Um, 
it was all the elements in one. It was fire. There was crazy winds. The, the waves were crashing as the lava was pouring out. It was just like all the elements coming together. And we were just watching and I could just close my eyes and I just get chills in my body just being there. And I think I even like teared up. That's how powerful it felt to me. And, um, so anyway, that was amazing, but this is not my where God. the story ends. <laughs> so that, that just, that sounds really in, intense. So cool. Uh, yeah. I've, I've never seen lava, but uh, apparently there is a volcano in Guatemala that's exploding like pretty constantly. Man. So maybe we'll have to make a trip out. We're going to need to do a head like yeah. trip. Oh yes. Oh, no. Okay. Continue. <laughs> yes, definitely. I recommend it. So, so anyway, we, I didn't tell you that on the way walking to the lava, we were kind of walking, there were certain cracks where there was like orange glow coming from the cracks. And all mm. I could say to Frank, like I was already in a really heightened state and all I could say to Frank was, we could potentially fall into a loose lava rock and die and no one would, no one would know where we were. And yeah. he just had this confidence of like, we're going to be okay, let's keep going. <laughs> So anyway, get to the lava and then we're like, okay, time to go because everyone else is leaving. So we should probably go back with them because like I said, we were on the land and we walked towards the coast. I told him in the beginning, how are we going to know where to cut back from the coast and go back to the, to, to, to the land? Because there was like maybe two shops and they had their lights closed and like everything mm-hmm. was pitch dark at that, at that point. So we were like, all right, let's just walk back with these people. They haven't said anything yet. It's not a big deal. So we're following, following them, and we realize that they're going a different way back than we had come. So we decided to just keep following them. And all of a sudden, they disappear into the darkness, and all their lights turn off, and van doors open. Everyone gets in, and someone's like, all right, guys, come on in, ready to go. Everyone gets in the truck and leaves, and we are literally stranded there in the middle of a rock desert, we have no idea where we are. And I literally started to panic. So I'm very good at crisis. Like I've been trained in mental health crisis to like really be there for people. And I can handle a lot of really hard things. But in this moment, my I, my face probably turned white and I just became really weak. And I, I think I had a panic attack because I was like, we're we're going to die. Like, obviously worst case scenario, we could have just slept there, woke up and then find our way yeah. back. Right. But in that moment, yeah, I, whenever, when it's pitch black, nothing <laughs> makes sense. Right. You're alone there. You're going to die. Yes. That's the reality. Yes. Yeah. We were going to die. So all of a sudden I start hyperventilating and Frank was trying to like calm me down and be there for me, but he was secretly scared shitless as well. So, and he had the added problem of it being his fault. His fault. Right? Like- <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. So anyway, we're just kind of walking. We don't know if we're walking in circles, but we're just continuing to walk. And then all of a sudden on our right side, we hear, we hear a voice. And there's nothing in the darkness, but we shift our light onto into the darkness. And there's a woman standing there in the pitch dark with this blonde scraggly hair and she's wearing a nightgown and she's just standing there. And I'm pretty, th- I'm pretty sure in my brain, I heard her say, is everything okay? But like, uh, is everything okay? Like that. And, but she had no flashlight, nothing, just in this nightgown. And Frank and I look at each other and we're like, do you see that person? Like we literally oh God, were so like, 
is this a <laughs> ghost? We both saw this person. Yes, we both saw this person, but we both thought it was a ghost and that we were like mm. kind of making it up. But we both, oh, we both wow. saw it. We weren't making it up. And we were both like, yes. And we literally just turned the opposite direction, grabbed each other's hands and just darted and just stopped beeline it walking as fast as we could away from this person and as we're walking a couple minutes all of a sudden we see this little village so it's like a lava rock village right and we're like oh i didn't see this before but there's like all these shacks there so our logical minds step in and we're like oh that lady's probably from the shack right she probably lives in the village we're like everything's okay she's She's not a ghost exactly right in her (laughs) nightgown with her scraggly hair (laughs) <laughs> so anyway every, we're literally logically talking ourselves down that we didn't just see a ghost or whatever and somehow we made it back to that spot where we that barrier was there like you can't go any further so basically the people in that village got mad that people were walking through their village so they said no more people can go through so anyway, we found that spot so we knew where we were we walked back to our car and it took another hour to get back there but we made it and we were obviously still alive and everything was fine. But here's the, here's the kicker, right? So there's two neck, two little parts and I'm going to try to make this short, but we get back to our friends and we tell the story to our guy friend who, you know, is the local there. And he's like, Oh, you know who that was, right? And we're like, who? He's like, that was Pele. And we're like, say more. We don't understand. He's like, so (laughs) for whatever reason, there's a myth, a rumor that Pele likes to manifest as a blonde woman. And he told us all these stories about people who have picked her, a blonde woman up as a hitchhiker, talking, having a whole conversation. And then all of a sudden she's, she disappears and she's not in the car anymore. Or, you know, Is this and the, the first time you heard this story? Yes. Like, That's the first time I heard about Pele being a blonde woman. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> but who, who is Pele? Pele is the fire goddess of Hawaii. You know, she creates the islands and, you know, okay. powerful female energy that's in Hawaii. So, so anyway, so that was that. We're like, oh, okay, cool. Like we met Pele, you know, <laughs> maybe she directed us in the right direction. So that was just our friends. We're like, maybe they're messing with us. Right. Anyway, years later, we moved to San Diego. I'm telling this story to someone who lived in that village. And I, and she said, you know, that was Pele, right? She's like, I was living in that village during that time, that, that exact time you were walking, and there's no one I know who could be a blonde lady with scraggly hair. She's like, I knew everyone in that village. She's like, I do not know who that person is. And wearing a nightgown. And <laughs> so that oh that's like God. double, tri- you know, it was just all these confirmations that everyone's like, you know who that was, right? So we met Pele, and that's, that's oh, the story. Man. That's spooky. I'm like, I've been on a state of tension the entire time of the story. I, as soon as you said it was dark and as soon as the vans, the van doors closed, I was just like, oh, no. Oh, no, they're going to die. I'm talking to you right now, but there's a high chance that you were dead, you know, at this point in my head. Junior Roxanne doesn't work well with the dark. I don't work well with the dark at all. Like, outside in the dark, I don't understand how I've camped so much. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's scary. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow, that's great. Well, I hope people enjoyed that. I sure I sure did. That's good. I think let's turn this now. So one thing that you know we wanted to talk to you about, and we talked about this a little bit before, is is intuition. So you're a highly sensitive person, and actually it might be a good idea 
um, for you to define what that means because uh, we're also highly sensitive yep. and you actually coach people around this. And that's something that I admire about your work and you are an expert on it. So actually, before I go any further, uh, maybe you could just share a little bit about what it means to be highly sensitive because that might be helpful for everybody. Yeah. So I will say I'm highly sensitive, but I'm also a high sensation seeker. Um, if you want to know if you are either one of these, go to hsperson.com. Elaine Aaron is the woman who's done a ton of research on this, and she's created a self-assessment. So I, I actually heard about the term highly sensitive in college, but because I didn't want to be called highly sensitive, let alone highly sensitive, I kind of put that in the closet for many years. But I took the assessment finally, and I saw how it was a strength. And ever since then, I've devoted my life and my work to learning about it, helping people, creating spaces for people to understand this. So you can also, you can be extroverted and be highly sensitive. You don't have to be introverted. So about 30%, they say, are extroverted, highly sensitive people. So imagine being an extroverted, highly, high sensation seeking HSP. You're like, I'm not highly sensitive. But the thing is, if you're a highly sensitive extrovert, you need just as much downtime as any regular introvert. And that's the hmm. big thing that... I, I always thought I was an ambivert, but really I'm just a highly sensitive extrovert. And I know these are a yeah, lot of words. Yeah, torturous. Right? Because <laughs> yeah, we're, we're both <laughs> introverts. Really and hard. just imagining that you can be an extrovert and highly sensitive and high sensation seeking. I'm also high sensation seeking, so I understand the kind of hellish existence that can be sometimes, or at least frustrating. <laughs> um, but to, then to throw extrovert on top of that just, just seems like, um, well, that it seems very disorienting. Yes. <laughs> I need a lot of social contact and then a lot of time to, to decompress. Um, but that that's just the intro of it. But there are four distinguishing um, pieces if you're highly sensitive. And Elaine Aaron has a documentary called Sensitive. I recommend you watch it. But um, I will tell you the acronym it does. So D stands for depth of processing. HSPs think deeper about things and longer. Um, o is overstimulated. Highly sensitive people become overstimulated because our nervous system is turned on times 10. So we take in a lot more information from our environment. Number E is emotional responsiveness. So HSPs respond to things in their environment more than people who are not highly sensitive, whether that's, um, you know, through tears or just feeling what other people feel. A lot of highly sensitive people are highly empathic, but not all empaths are highly sensitive. So just something to, a little distinction mm. to make there. And then finally, the S is subtleties to details. So highly sensitive people are extremely detail-oriented. We pick up on things that people don't pick up on. Um, and also we notice changes a lot sooner than other people. So, you know, even in my work, like seeing the changes of like our evolution of our, <laughs> our species, right? Like we see the changes first. Um, they also say that in, in nature, animals are highly sensitive. There's about 20 to 30% of all species are highly sensitive. So it's kind of like the one antelope in the field that can like spot the minor detail of the lion shifting. They're the ones who then warn the rest. So that's the strength of the highly sensitive person is that because we notice things first, we then warn the rest to like, to come on and go. Dr. Elaine Aaron talks about this and uh, about being the royal advisor, right? Like she uses that kind of idea as like highly sensitives often play the role of royal advisor to, to other people. And I found that really helpful uh, as a way of thinking about it. 
Yes. I and that's even, that's even truer for you as an INTJ of like this, the, the depth of processing for Alistair is, is times <clears throat> 50,000. We're going to, yeah, that, I think this is going to come up in a second, actually. But uh, one thing I'll say, but before we go on, and maybe you can comment on this, Karina, actually, uh, our, we used to be running similar circles in San Diego, and that's where I met you, was in San Diego. And that was the first time I'd heard about Highly Sensitive, and it wasn't actually till a couple years ago that I actually followed up on that. Although when you described it, I was like, yeah, that's probably me, but it, I never I never kind of followed up on it. And uh, can I just say... Been, I do remember, I remember that conversation because I have a very visual memory and I remember telling you and you're like, oh no, I'm just an introvert. And I'm like, nah. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I'll let that, I'll, I'll take a couple years to sink in. <laughs> sure. Well, it did. It did. You get the last laugh on that one. Because I actually, I think. It was I, because you told me one morning, I remember we were in bed. I was crying for some reason. That's, that happens about one morning every three mornings. Uh, so true. just, and and you said like, are you familiar with the term highly sensitive? And I was like, kind of pissed off that he would bring this up. I was like, yeah, what? No, I don't. Well, I know what sensitive means. God, you know, <laughs> and then he was like, no, it's a term. It's like a thing, a book. And I was like, oh, OK. And then I think I bought it like a couple of days later and, and dove into it. And I was like, oh, my God, this explains everything about me and my entire life. So I had a similar I, I've also gone on that journey and it's con it's becoming more and more powerful. But one of the early things and then and then I think um, we'll move on. But one early thing that was really, really fascinating to me is thinking about stimulation on a spectrum and realizing, I, I don't know if Elaine Aaron, I think she describes it kind of like this, but it's like there's this the, there's the spectrum and then everyone's got a sweet spot, right? Mm -hmm. Which is like a smaller section of the spectrum. But that sweet spot could be at different areas on that sensitivity spectrum. So mm -hmm. someone might uh, need a lot of stimulation to get into their sweet spot. And perhaps that sweet spot's actually really wide. Like they can... That, you know, they can endure a lot of sens uh, sensation and it's okay. But a lot of times with highly sensitive people, that sweet spot is not only narrower or shorter, but it comes earlier on the spectrum. Mm. And uh, thinking about that, like that, having that idea and then also being prompted to think about all the things in my environment and my life that can stimulate me, like ideas or people or coffee or caffeine, like uh, that was extremely helpful in helping me learn how to, I, I think, be manage my life a little bit better. Mm -hmm. It was it was really really helpful. Yeah, and I always like to say that everyone, you know, we have our five senses, and I would say everyone has at least one sense that is their superpower. Um, so for me, I have bionic hearing; like I can hear things. Um, even from not this, not from this dimension, like I hear high pitched noises. I hear a lot of guidance from my, my guides, my angels, stuff like that. Um, and my husband, he's an, a bionic smeller, which you might think is like, <laughs> to me, it's, it's, <clears throat> it's kind of like, oh crap. Right. Like, 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 like the kind of the crappy one. Yeah. Like, so <laughs> it's just, it's funny. Cause you know, I don't know. Anyway. I'm not going to go into it. I'm not going to go into it. Let's just say I will admit this. So my husband, he's, <laughs> do I don't even want to say this. He, um, he's like epic at farting and like making really loud fart noises. And I, I have a history of having really smelly farts. 
And so yeah, yeah. both of us. sensitive and their digestive right. issues. Right. Like, it's like that's it's hard. Common. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, so the one that we both is the, you know, it's like his yeah. loud, la- the loudness <laughs> bothers me and the smell bothers him. So I was like, we're just t- meant for each other. Right. <laughs> this, this sounds exactly like our relationship. <laughs> It's true. That does sound exactly like our relationship. Oh, that's funny. I, I'm really liking your husband. That's us. Uh, the lava and now this is like, man, we have a lot in common. Oh, yes. uh, what's your husband's type? Do you know? Does he know? So he took it one day and I think it, I think he was an INTJ, but then later yeah. he, he showed up as INFJ. So I think he's like borderline mm. T and F. As yes, he, this is great. Yeah, as he's become more emotionally aware and developed his emotional intelligence because he lives with me, I think that's where it teeters, right? And I've taught okay. him, mm-hmm. given him permission to use his emotions more. I feel like when he took it another time, that F popped up. You are setting me up perfectly for where I want to go. So <laughs> this is great. I'm, I'm really excited. Um, so a, a couple things. So we're talking about these letters and, and maybe just for anyone listening who's like, what the hell is this? I'm TJ and... And Good. and you're an ENFP, right? Am ENFP, I right? Yep. Okay, cool. And Julie Roxanne is an INFP. I am. Okay. So this is the Myers Briggs typology indicator. Uh, it's MBTI for short. It's based off the ideas of Jung. And uh, I actually wanted to use this because, and I'll explain a little bit of of this personality type in a second. But because I was listening um, to you talk about intuition on your podcast. Uh, the other day, and I started sweating it because I was listening to you talk about. It, I was like, "Oh shit, this is way different than the way I think about intuition. This is gonna, this is gonna be hard." <laughs> he was like, "I don't know. I don't know if this is gonna go well. I'm afraid I'm gonna get really bogged down in thinking that my way is like the right way, and well, that we're gonna yeah, touch yeah. The eye to eye, like which is to- a classic archetype of of my type of the INTJ is the knower. Yeah. Uh, so I think typology will help us explore a topic that I'd like to spend a good amount of time here exploring with you, which is intuition. And I think I was nervous when I first heard you talk about it. I was like, oh man, uh, you're describing it in a really different way. And I'm not sure how we're going to even have a vocabulary exactly to talk about. Like it was hard. And so I did what uh, INTJs do in these moments of crisis is uh, I picked up a book and I read for like three or four hours last night. In case you want to understand, I'm talking to the listener now, If in case you understand, you want to understand what an INTJ is, it's Alistair. <laughs> Alistair is the archetypal INTJ. There's no question about that. It's just like spends way too much time thinking deeply about things and uh, and just reading books and uh, needing a lot of so, downtime. So have a little patience with me because this is going to take a little bit for you extroverted intuition types, but I will get but you will appreciate it when we get okay, there. But yeah. I'm going to go a little deeper than you want to go, I think probably. So and so I need to explain this a little bit for people listening go so that they're not lost. So uh, with this personality type the basics, the very, very basics, and we're going to just broad strokes, is that there's four types of functions. And two of these are perceiving functions, and two of these are judging functions. So your perceiving functions are the way you collect information, and your judging functions are the way you kind of value. It's, it's, it's your value system. It's how you decide what to do with that information. So one, there, there's four functions. The two perceiving are intuition is a function and sensing is a function. And then on the judging side, there is feeling and thinking. None of these are right or wrong, good or better, or anything like that. They're just different preferences 
for approaching the world and how we kind of interact with the world. So I think that's important to say. So uh, we're all intuitive types. So the ENFP, INTJ, INFP is basically like a map for your psyche. Basically, it alludes to your makeup. We all have all four of these functions, but they're in different orders and we have more or less access to them. On, to them. We all have a dominant function that probably will come easier to us than others. Um, another important thing to say on this is that each function will have a preference. So uh, each function will either prefer to act in an introverted way or an extroverted way. So for example, intuition can be introverted, which you can think of as subjective or, or inward, or Intu- intuition can be extroverted, which you can think of as objective or outward. So this is like a really brief broad strokes, but it's just enough to set up, I think, a voc- uh, like a working vocabulary here that's going to help us explore intuition in a more rich way. And I think maybe here, because I've already heard you say a couple of things, which I know from doing a little bit of research uh, on your podcast about intuition and um, maybe you could just describe how you experience intuition or how it comes for you or what you think of it as. That might be a good place to start. Yeah. Okay. So just as we have our five physical senses, we have our seven clair senses. So there's clair sentience, which is clear feeling, clair cognizance, which is clear knowing, clair audience, which is clear hearing, clairvoyance, which everyone Mm -hmm. has heard before, is clear seeing, um, right? And there's seven. So it's the clear, it's like beyond the physical physical senses, right? So that's Mm -hmm. the basic of that. Um, If you want to know what the others are, just do a quick Google search. But everyone has maybe two or three that are strongest, and then the others are not as strong. But as you start to develop them more, then more you'll see that you'll develop you know, they'll, they'll all start to develop a bit more as well. So in regards to clairvoyance, for example, I consider myself clairvoyant because I'm a very visual person. I can see things clearly in my mind's eye, except I know people who are clairvoyant and they can mm. literally see mm. auras on people or they can see things glowing or they can see spirits. And, and when I was younger, actually throughout my life, um, I've seen, like I, I've seen spirits upon waking up at night when I'm in this like in between state, I'll mm. see people in my room and that's a whole nother story. <laughs> but you know, in, in that sense, I, mm-hmm. that is my clairvoyance. So that is just basic. Okay. So intro and I'm going to do a little bit more work to try to, to, I think this will be helpful. At least it'll be helpful for me. So I think there's probably going to be some people in our audience that will listen and say, okay, Oh yeah. Voices or angels. All right, cool. And then there's going to be some people that are going to be like, uh, what? You know, like that, that, so mm-hmm. that language works for some people and it doesn't work for some people. And, and for me, it's, it's, uh, it's sometimes it's hard. It, it's not the language I would use. This was kind of the crisis I found myself in the other day when I was listening to you talk about intuition. Yesterday was a very fun evening. Oh, it was great. And I was, <laughs> I was, I was really like trying to figure out, okay, well, how are we going to have this conversation? She's going to talk about angels and voices and, and like, <laughs> Like, I, don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to participate in that. And I don't want to like, you know, I don't want to get into an argument about, about what intuition is, you know, like that's not going to be productive. And so, so I started reading about your type because I heard that you had said you're an ENFP. So uh, that was really interesting. And I quickly started doing a lot of exploring around intuition because I knew that's what we wanted to talk about. And as I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, 
Intuition is a function we all have, although it'll be more accessible to some of us than others. And uh, it will also be pointed in a direction. So you might have a function that prefers to be extroverted, or you might have an intuition function that prefers to be introverted. This is interesting because you also shared just a second ago that your husband is an INTJ or an INFJ. And I know both of those have introverted intuition as their dominant function. You would have your you would have extroverted intuition as your dominant function and julie roxanne has it as a secondary so we're all pretty strong intuitive types but my intuitive type is is very different than yours and i find the words i use are very different like and i I almost like i'm just gonna and this is a very anti thing to do a very introverted intuitive thing to do but I'm going to give you a definition of both because I think it will, I think it's helpful. Okay, please Um, do. And this comes from uh, personalityjunkie.com. This is AJ's work and and I found it really good. AJ's the MVP. Yeah, so he talks about introverted intuition and we all have this or one of the two or prefer one of the two, either introverted or extroverted as kind of, you can think of this as the knowing archetype. It's Mm -hmm. the knower and the primary role, according to AJ, is that introverted intuition collects conscious and subconscious information, then synthesizes it to produce impressions, insights, answers, and theories. It sees deep causes, patterns, and laws underlying sense data. Mm -hmm. Here's the extroverted intuition archetype. It's uh, creating. Uh, This is what the way you you might describe. They're they're the more archetypal creators. And... uh, the role of extroverted intuition is to broadly explore, synthesize, and express ideas, associations, and possibilities. First off, I, before I go any further, does that sound like a fair uh, categorization of the two, like these two ways of looking at intuition? Yes, for sure. Okay. All right. So there's a whole vocabulary that comes with either of these. Yes. I, I, and And it might be... There's a lot of things that come with these. It's really interesting. But one of them is that any types, extroverted intuition types, are more likely to to extrovert their intuition or see it in the outside world. Whereas anti types, introverted, are more likely, it's more likely to be an internal process. You you actually described intuition in a, in a way that I really liked. And I think it's a good like kind of way to get at, okay, what is intuition too? Which is, uh, you said on one of your podcasts, you know something, but you don't know how you know it. And I, I feel like that's, a, for me, a really good description of how that process works. For, for me, it's kind of like uh, a black... I, I imagine uh, an, an intuitive, with intuition often comes like images or, or, or messages. And for me, I, inv- I imagine a black box. And my job is to just stuff that black box with the right kind of information. Like... Like I, I just put it in, like kind of think about it like an assembly a belt that goes yeah. into a black box. And like what I can do is be conscious and intentional about the input that I put in there. I have no idea what happens in that black box. I have no, I have no idea. And then mm-hmm. even at times, I don't even know when it'll happen, but then things come out the other side. All of a sudden, boom, there's, a, there's an insight, there's an image there, there, it's like it can come almost as an internal voice. It can come as like if a fully formed thought or idea or an image or something like that. For me, uh, that's how I tend to, to experience it. And I, I wonder if maybe you could share. I, I've heard some of 
um, the way, like kind of the analogies you use for intuition. And I'll, I wonder if you might share a couple of those, because I think it would be interesting to contrast and compare the, you know, like different ways of, of trying to, trying to describe it. Yeah. Yeah. I like what you shared so far and it's very HSP of you to understand it in a very tangible way that, you know, we take in a lot of information and somehow in this black box, it digests it and synthesizes it. And, and then it emits a new idea or a new thought or, you know, a, a, something where it brings it all together, like a cake, right? You have all these ingredients and then you have this beautiful, delicious cake. How did, how did you do that? We don't really know. There's just like a, there's like something yeah. that happens internally, right? When it's being cooked. Um, but the analogy that I like to have that I, maybe you saw on my podcast was mm-hmm. around the mm-hmm. telephone. So you said black box. I actually think of um, a still glass lake. So this is a meditation I share, I'll share with a lot of my clients is to, if can you practice just imagining a clear glass lake? And when you ask a question to that, to your intuition, then just like as if a buoy is rising to the surface of that clear glass lake, all of a sudden something emerges, something pops up. And the thing that the mind does is that the mind will question is this right? Is this wrong? Is this the best thing? Right? So that's the mind versus the intuition where it's just coming from another place. It's like emerging. The mind is always going to question and analyze and try to figure it out and control it and manipulate it. And, you know, the mind is a great tool for, for certain tasks, but I would say for decision-making, in my opinion, it just takes so much longer to make a decision if you use your mind versus your intuition. Your intuition is going to Always share with you the thing that is, in my opinion, the thing that is for your highest good that you don't even realize is for your highest good because it did do all the work already to synthesize and see the bigger picture. Um, and what I like to say is sometimes I'm like, well, where does this information come from? And that's where I like to bring in the analogy of the telephone. So I like to picture my heart as this telephone and I literally pick up the telephone and I ask a question and then I receive an answer like that buoy coming up, right? But where is that buoy coming from? So it's coming from your imagination. So I used to think, oh, I'm making this up. It must not be real. But actually your intuition speaks to you through your imagination. So, you know, then I went a next step further. I was like, yeah, but who's giving the information on the other side? Who's on the other side of the telephone, right? Like I just kept going deeper and deeper. (laughs) (laughs) Who am I talking to, right? (laughs) So, so then I, you know, I've done a lot of my own research and it's really about experiential. Um, You know, what feels right to you? Like that's your truth, right? So I can't tell someone what the truth is. Um, they have to experience it themselves. And well, that's see, the important as, as an introverted intuitive type, the knower, I want to agree with you, but I also know that deep down in my core, I want to know the truth and tell everyone else what that truth is. <laughs> right. Because there's one truth. <laughs> I have to admit that. Yeah. yeah. Well, like, this yeah. is just like. This, and, is, and, this is like probably one of the most common, it's not argument, but it's one of the most common like things that we really don't see eye to eye on. It's just, I keep thinking exactly like you said I couldn't have said it better it's like whatever you feel is right for you and that's your truth <laughs> that's the and pee I in you really at ease with that and I actually right. love this like oh what a relief I don't have to know the truth I just have to know my truth and there he is just sitting on the other side being like but no no don't you understand there's right and wrong there's a truth there's one mm-hmm. truth on certain things I'm like 
I don't know. We don't know. And then he goes mad. He goes crazy. Like really, yeah. that you that that makes so. Mad. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Karina. I will say I actually I have universal truths that I teach. Um, there's at least twelve of them. They've kind of evolved over the years, but. I do believe there are universal truths that you see across time, across religions, across everything. So, and it's like these concepts, these ideas that, you know, when you bring them into any situation, if you see it in the light of that universal truth and you can find a resolution or answer. Mm. Um, so I do believe there are universal truths, but um, it's such, it's, I'll tell you one of the universal truths. It's um, find, discovering your middle way, right? So that comes from Taoism. It's, it's coming out of polarity and it's finding the middle way. And I'm not going to go too much into it. But if you think about what's right and wrong, um, there is a right and there is a wrong. And to me, that, that right is in the middle. It's mm-hmm. like a combination of the two. It's kind of like trying to having your fingers in a Chinese finger trap and trying to like be like, no, this is right. And then the other side is like, no, this is right. Right. So it's like, is science right? Or is spirituality right? And that was my argument with my husband all these years was, you know, he was more scientific. I was more spiritual. And actually I had to learn how to be more scientific in my approach yeah. for, for us to have a connection. And I was me moving towards the middle. And then as I did that, he did that because we're connected. And then all of a sudden there was like a release. Mm. Um, so that was like us finding our middle way with, the combination of both extremes. So to me, that's a universal truth. And like, but that's the P in me where it's like, it all, it's all, (laughs) there, there is truth, but there, there is a right way. I do, but I believe both. So I don't know if that makes our brains. I know, no, no, because, because I'm an introverted intuitive holding paradox is no problem for me. That's something uh, I, I, I can do fairly well. I, I totally agree. I think, these things are paradoxes in, in some way, like they are contradictory, but mm-hmm. you have to kind of hold them both. And, th- and that's a bit of a challenge. Let's, let's go back to some of the ways you describe intuition. So you described this like buoy in the lake. You also, you mentioned like the phone line to the heart. I think you, you mentioned that a little bit. Maybe mm-hmm. I like that one. Um, I think that one resonates with me a lot because a lot of times, right, intuition comes as a feeling. Uh, and so saying you have a, a direct line to your heart is helpful because a lot of times intuition can come. I, I call it like a follow the flutter. Like mm-hmm. for me, it's that's the best way to describe it when it comes from my chest. It's this kind of like this flutter, this uh, kind of quivering, this excitement that happens. And I think I've noticed other ones. There's something that's much more intellectual or much more up in the mind that's more like an insight, a momentary vision. Um, there's also there's also ones that come from the gut that are that are more like grounded in a way or more uh, like a, a, a lower sense if you're thinking in like the chakras. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe, so maybe you could speak a, a, a little bit more to that in your experience. Well, I know that you said you kind of brought your hand up to your head, like that's the mind. But actually, to me, I really separate the mind and the heart. You can have intuition through your through your third eye, right? Which is insight. Mm-hmm. Um, but the mind to me, how I distinguish it is the thing that judges, um, the thing that is, it feels contractive. It's the thing that changes its mind constantly. So it, you, you know, it's your intuition when you get the same message over and over again. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's your mind when it keeps changing your mind. This is better. No, this is better. No, this is better. Oh, what about that? Right. But at the end of the day, what does your heart say? It's the same thing over and over and over again, no matter how much you try to try to do it. And 
I do want to say that there is one more analogy that I think is really helpful, especially in our day and age, um, and it's that of the GPS. So when you use your GPS, you plug in the coordinate. You say, all right, I want to go home, right? You plug it in, and then it gives you the first step on where to go. It doesn't tell you, like the old printout, Google Maps, it doesn't tell you steps one through 20, right? It says step one, turn left. And then until you turn left, then it says, now go straight. And then when you're done going straight, then it says go right, right? It doesn't say, all right, Karina, we're going to get in our car now and we're going to go home and you're going to turn left, straight, right, forward, backwards. Like it doesn't do that because you're like, whoa, I'm not going to remember all that. Mm. Anytime anyone tries to give me directions on the road, I'm like, just please stop. Like, I know, like, it's usually an older person. They're like, let me tell you. I'm like, no, I'm not going to remember it. Sometimes you can't even stop them. They just won't no. stop. Just like, I know. I just let them say it, and I'm like, okay, okay. And I'll okay and I then got then, it. Yeah, I got it. Told you. Yeah, take a ride at the sign. Yeah, great, great. Then put the address into Google. <laughs> yes. Okay, but, but yeah. that's our intuition where it's because it's too overwhelming for what our, our mind is able to do, right? Even like numbers, our mind is able to hold about seven numbers before it starts to forget the, the number stream, unless you have a really good memory. But seven is about the number that they say, that's why, you know, phone numbers are about seven numbers. Obviously it's more than that. But so same thing with the intuition is like, it's like the GPS, but you have to plug in a coordinate, meaning you have to say what you want. If it's a feeling or if it's a goal or an idea or a state of being, like you have to put a coordinate into, into the system. Otherwise, you're just going just gonna to keep walking in circles, right? Or you're going to get somewhere. You just, it might take you a lot longer to get there because you're figuring out what you want, right? And that's fine too. Sometimes we don't know what we want until we start going and then we're like, oh, I, I want to go there, right? Because you realize what you don't want to do. Mm. So that's good information for you. Um, so that's just another way to see the intuition is like the GPS. I was hoping you'd bring that up because uh, um, I liked that analogy too in in the part you said about like it gives you one direction at a time, right? And you have to take that direction before you get the next one. And and sure, like if you go on your Google Maps, you can get a list of them. But let's like, but if but if you're navigating from it, you get one at a time, and you have to take that. And I think there's something there's there's a nugget of wisdom in there that like we can go we can skip if, if we go too quick which is you have to do it you have to mm. do that thing before the next thing happens mm. and I think if we're going to make it more uh this GPS a little bit more accurate to at least how intuition feels for me it's like you get one direction and then the rest is black like blank it's like mm -hmm. it's not there and and then you do it and then you, you don't even think it's going to, you're not even sure where the next direction is going to come from. And it comes and it doesn't come from your phone. This time it's like, it came from over there or something. <laughs> right. And you're just like, whoa, and it, that's where I have to go. And it leads you down this magical journey of a path, you know, and like, that's really exciting. And that's how, that's how it's felt to me. But I think it's, um, you know, I, I, it seems to me the same as I was given this, um, this advice by uh, a shaman once when I was doing ayahuasca and in peru and ayahuasca is a psychedelic um it's a derivative of dmt it's a plant that's in the jungle and uh it's pretty strong and so we were one of the pieces of advice that my shaman was were, that i was working with was giving me was like you have to meet ayahuasca can only meet you 50 of the way there that's it 
it can it can show you things, it can teach you things, but if you don't walk the other fifty percent, it's useless. And I I get that feeling when I hear you describe when I've heard you just use this GPS analogy of the same thing. It's like if you don't take that first step, you're not going anywhere. You you have to take that step, and then another one will come. And I think that's where like faith kind of enters the equation of of, of with intuition. And and maybe you can talk a little bit about about that intersection where you where you see that playing playing a role. Yeah. So there is something that I teach and it's kind of like, if you want to just imagine a Venn diagram and it's about how we co-create with the universe, right? It's like, it's a co-creation. We're not a sole creator. As I like to say, we're a co-creator and not just with other people, but with the universe. So we have to know what our job is and what the universe's job is, because if we try to do the universe's job, we're literally going to run ourselves dry and we're going to burn out and get depleted. So the universe's job is well should i ask you guys or should i just go into it what do you think <laughs> what do you think the universe's job is oh god i, I know because uh karina karina is my coach so i know no, she I'm, gonna told me. I'm gonna fail this <laughs> okay i'll just go into it i'll go into it so the universe's job is when the where and the who okay so when you say you want something or you want something to happen you need to let the universe do the when the where and the who. Okay, you can have a timeline of like when you kind of want it, you know, a date, like I want to go on this, I want to leave on this date. But, you know, kind of like you guys selling your caravan, you didn't know when it was going to be sold or who it was going to be sold to or where they were going to come from. But if someone's buying that caravan, right? Mm. So your job is the what, okay, the what includes what you want, and what, um, what you want to feel, then why? Okay, why do you want it? That's your job. You need to say what you want, what you want to feel, and why you want it, right? And the thing that's in the middle of the Venn diagram is the how. So the question you then ask yourself is another what question. It's what is my next step? You just Mm -hmm. have to ask that question, do it, and once you do it, you'll be given the next step. So you don't know, always know what the next step is until you finish that step. So that's why that part is both of the jobs because mm. you have to kind of listen to what that next step is. You have to listen to your intuition when it tells you, call that person, go into that coffee shop. You know, even kind of how we met, I met Steph through the coffee shop in Ocean Beach. It was like, talk to that girl on her computer. You know, it was just like, and then I did it. And then it, it just introduced me to like all these amazing people from Junto. So it was, you know, I just follow my intuition. I've learned to trust it. And I, I always love to say is don't believe me, do it yourself, experiment with it and see if your intuition gives you something or you think it is, try not doing it, try not listening to it. Right. And then another time, try listening to it and then see for yourself, you know, is life easier or harder when you listen to your intuition or you don't listen? I really like that. I really like that Venn diagram. Um, that That's a really interesting way to think about it. I've been thinking over there and just maybe Alistair, you, I know that you, I mean, you've talked to me a lot about this, so maybe I can just share and you can correct me if this is not how it feels for I'm you. But there's, Yeah, yeah, you are. But um, it's like, Usually I feel like that extroverted intuition that we're talking about that is more co-creating with the universe and all that. I feel like you really don't like the whole law of attraction, you know, like that you can say what you want and then just take the next step and then it's going to happen. I, I like <clears throat> Karina earlier, you said um, you said that you just have to 
put in the coordinates and the GPS of where you want to go and that it'll get you there in some way. And like, I feel like sometimes I have a hard time saying that to you and you really hearing me. I also don't have the best of words. I don't know enough about this and it's kind of still blurry for me to explain with my own words. Yeah, yeah, I... I'd like you to say st- how, you, like something around that. Yes, yeah, so you throw like me into the danger it. zone because I don't know if I have my like ideas totally. Oh boy! But, you, and I knew this was going to happen on this podcast because there was two extroverted intuitions versus one introverted intuition. I was like, oh, God, <laughs> he's doing like, he's like gonna, ganged up on. Yeah, this is going to be hard. Um, yeah, I, I okay. So I'll just I'll just say a couple things. I think is that for me, there's a really strong core belief I have, which is that. Um, wrong knowing is extremely dangerous. And when we don't, when we have bad ideas or, or, or when we have a bad picture of how the world works or an oversimplified one, uh, we, we're going to create bad ideas from that. And we're going to take actions that are, that are potentially dangerous. I think that uh, wrong knowledge is extremely dangerous. And and I so I think this is kind of the starting point that gets me uncomfortable sometimes with that because I hear it used, and this is an attribute, I think, of extroverted intuition again. It, and I'm not trying to make a jab here, but I think I, I'm going to try to describe, I'm going to go on a slight tangent here to describe a, a behavior that I think will also illuminate my my position, which is extroverted intuition types you were describing it well the other day. We had this really funny, we were tr- so I, I was trying to figure this out last night and we were exploring this. As an introverted intuitive type, I like to dig deep. I'll go super deep. I'll go a mile deep and no one will be able to follow me. And, but I will get down there and there's all sorts of interesting layers. Like think of like the, you know, rock layers, all these interesting layers of knowledge and they're super practical. There's like gold down there. There's, there's oil, there's all sorts of stuff. And most people don't dig deep enough to find it. So, um, but this can be really useful. But at the core, there's still that mystery, right? Like I never get down to the to the to the bottom, uh, and I and I don't know what's down further, and I don't think I ever will get. You can't. I, I'll never know it all as hard as I try. <laughs> that <laughs> so, sounded so heartbreaking. To <laughs> yes, you say it is that. hard to admit. <laughs> so, so, so a good way to think of like any types extroverted intuition is. Uh, and I think Julie Roxanne resonated with this, and I'm, I'm interested to see what you think, Karina, if this describes you as well or not. But you tend to be up on the surface, like looking down in the ravine, like, oh, it's a really interesting hole. I'm not going down there. There is way too many things. Like, it's like I actually said, like, dude, it's like we get to a place and there's like this entire plane, this entire like land that to explore and to kind of, I feel like I'm on a drone and I'm just like going around and seeing, Oh, there's bushes over there. Oh, there's sand there. There's a Creek over there. That's awesome. And I don't need to go and linger forever. I don't need to go and. Oh, there's too many things for you to discover and combine and create. And so it's like more a horizontal plane where you can see really far with the horizon. It's very broad. And then the NI goes super deep but in that way it's very narrow and and one of like the pains in my life is that you and e types run so fast over the surface and i can't keep up because i have to go so deep and and like i have to climb back out and and then there's another interesting hole and i need to go down yeah, that one. Do. And, and what irritates me about you guys if i if i will say <laughs> i'm just gonna say it because it's true and i have to throw it out there and, and I just can't reconcile this. I'm really struggling with this. I really am. He's and been struggling for the last couple of days, if not weeks. I don't know how to 
it's like okay well how do i communicate with these these people you know yeah how, yeah it's true if, if you see all the rocks and the just in this area the, of, yeah, yeah. of intuition of this this area but it's like you run so far and you connect all these things and it's amazing but you go like an inch deep or maybe okay a little bit deeper i'm not trying to be like mean but like from an ni's point of view it's an inch deep and and that's what's super frustrating it's like no 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 where are you going there's so much more to go down on that yeah and then and then i was i was responding to this yesterday because to me it was hilarious so it's just like yeah that explains this uh this sense of like how annoyed i can get sometimes like dude there's so many cool things over there and you're digging way down and we're losing time you know like we're we're losing the opportunity to explore so yeah i, I don't want to lose your original question but i want to give you a chance karina to to react to that because i'm interested to to know if if, if that's it, true or not in your experience and also with your husband since he's a, yeah. a an <clears throat> type right so part of my shadow that i've really owned and accepted is that I can live on the surface. And I actually have now say it's part of my shadow is because I used to judge other people who were really shallow and superficial and point the finger and say, they're superficial, they're shallow. But I wasn't seeing how like that was actually part of my, sh- my shadow. That's part mm-hmm. of my personality that like, I love to explore all the things. And some of them I will go really deep on. But I will bring it to the surface and then I'll share all the things. Mm. So, so, and that's my HSP side is like, I do have that depth. So is that, and that's why it's hard for me to connect with another non-highly sensitive extrovert because they're all about just that very, very exploring shallowness. Sorry, I'm not saying whatever, but yes. <laughs> um, but so that's like HSP, having highly sensitive people in my life, I need that, you know, that depth and and as introverted into it, you know, you go much deeper. And the way that I can see this with my husband is that when he makes a decision about something, he thinks about every angle that you didn't even know that there was an angle there. Like you think it was like four or five dimension, but he like found the hundredth dimension, like at angle to see it from this light or that light. And I'm like, dude, just let's go. Let's do this thing. Right. <laughs> so... Like there's a really big decision on the table for us as a family and like, you know, his career and my career and how I'm going to help him. And I'm just like ready to go. And and actually that's part of my um, quick start. So I've never took the Colby, but I'm a high quick start. So I just like, I have an idea I want to go right now. Um, But then there are people who like really take their time with making decisions. And so what I appreciate about my husband is that he slowed me down because I've made really quick rash decisions before without fully thinking it through and then I kind of fell on my face and I had Mm -hmm. to like go back and over and over again until I you know more of the picture came to me and I remember when I first started my coaching business this was a time where like not many people were coaching and like not many people were like doing this sort of thing with like you know holding space for people and videos and whatever it was like he literally was like, what are you doing? Like, he thought I was crazy. It's like, what are you, I don't understand what you're trying to do with people. And, and then he would just say, but have you thought about this? And have you thought about like how you're going to make money or how you're going to get clients? And I'm like, dude, I'm going to think about those things, <laughs> but this is what I want to do. Right. It's like, I just know what I want to do and I just go for it. And then I think I figure the things out as I go. And maybe that's part of the extroverted side. Um, but for him, you know, he gathers all the information first and then proceeds, um, proceeds. And I would say 
there's no right or wrong way. Um, and I appreciate him for slowing me down, as like mm-hmm. I said, because, and, but I've also had to teach him to like, just make the decision already, except he's really resistant to doing, to doing that. See, you as a, you, <laughs> I think that was a really good, I think that was, that was a really good description. And I, and I, one thing that just popped up immediately is like, of course you would say there's no right or wrong way. You are an NE type as an NI type. I would say, yes, there is a right. And there is a wrong way. I, I think that's like part of the, um, where it kind of comes to loggerheads a little bit like, or at least this is the conflict I'm struggling with now. And this goes back to your, your original question mm. around like the the law of attraction and stuff. There is truth in that. There is some truth that otherwise, how would it like, why would it resonate with so many people? I think it does describe some aspect of experience in some ways that is valuable. Um, I hear it used in such, uh, such shallow ways and, and, and ways to explain things that takes the mystery out instead of keeping it in, and and I use it in a lot of ways where I hear it and I'm like, that's dangerous. That is actually closing doors, not yeah. opening them. And that is what I think what makes me have an agenda against law of attraction is not that there is some truth in law of attraction, but that it's kind of been co-opted by something else. And I'm not exactly sure what that is, but, but yeah. I, and usually when I hear it, it really makes me cringe because I hear as an NI, I hear the whole depth of like the way they're using it like all of a sudden boom 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 boom, all these things go like all these assumptions that like stack up behind it and i'm like oh that's not that that doesn't sit well with me and that makes me really uncomfortable and it goes against a lot of my values and so i i just stay away from the whole law of attraction and the conversation because i feel like it's way too loaded for me and it's it's like the word love sometimes you know it's like it's been used so much that you just don't know what the hell it means anymore and it's and and uh, i find that there's definitely some people that use it that i absolutely just trigger me like i can't that 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 are that are it, it's hard for me so uh, yeah. i stay away from it i it's also just not vocabulary i think it's more of the vocabulary of an extroverted intuitive type than it is the vocabulary of an introverted intuitive, like with, I'm kind of with Frank there where it's like, okay, like I feed the beast. And then one day, like something's going to come out and it's going to be the truth. Like it'll be, it's an inner knowing. Mm. Um, and, and I think the other approach a little bit is more of like, I'm going to go out into the world and then it's going to be, it's kind of like a GPS metaphor, which I do identify with. I do see it that way too, at times, because even if I'm an introverted intuitive, you know, we experience both aspects of, the function it's not like but we just have a preference so i also experience it that way sometimes but i get really uncomfortable when i see it taken to extremes on that side i think that probably does that answer your yeah yeah it's it it, i i was just curious to have your thoughts on this in this conversation because i think like it's linked and it, it, it was it was interesting to hear thank you and what i appreciate about you alistair and like my husband is that in the beginning, I would talk about certain concepts on a very superficial, shallow level. And because I have a husband who questions everything, it's actually strengthened my understanding of the concept because I've, before I didn't have to question it because it was just like, oh, I believe it. But he, because I had such a critical partner, I needed to go, I needed to understand it so much clearer so that I can help him understand it. And I was like, if I can help my husband understand it, I can help 
anyone understand this thing? <laughs> you just described the 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 revolution that happened in my life over over the last two and a half years with Alistair. It's just I can't even recount the amount of times that I've cried in parking lots, on walks, on whatever, where I would say something with my like kind of butterfly, shallowy kind of way of like, oh, this is something I learned and this is I think this is really nice. And he would just like this doesn't work. This doesn't add up. Questioning everything. I was just like, why are you against me? Like, I thought he was against <laughs> me the entire time. Turns out he was just trying to understand it for understand himself. It. And he's really forced me to, um, in, and in a great way, because I think I want to be able to communicate the ideas that are important to me and that I really uh, care about, the things that, like, lighten me up. I want to be able to talk about it and explain it to the 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 vastest people like you know range of people and I want to be able to answer those questions when people actually need more data and more depth to understand and that I understand actually it's really weird if you think about it that people would take me on my word and say oh I read something the other day and it's the truth and I think it's, it really works don't you like that doesn't work for a lot of people so yeah, I, I really value what you've brought to my life. Well, thank you. And and I'll say that it's, <laughs> as an as a NI type, I hope you know that when you get through all those questions, it is a highest, one of the highest forms of compliments. <laughs> They're taking you seriously. Yeah, and yeah. that's like, you, you can't ask for much more. Yeah. With, no, it's true. It's true. Yeah, um, I would say my husband respects me a whole lot more now that he gets all the things I'm talking about because we went through all the questions and all the layers of his, you know, telling me how it, it can't be true. And then the biggest thing was helping him experience it himself. And that's why I really appreciate people who want to criticize or, you know, confront, confront it and say how it's like, they don't believe it they're wrong. And I'm like, you don't have to believe me. I don't want you to, I don't want to be this like guru. Listen to me, look at me. I want you to be your own guru. Like that is part of my leadership style. I want people to find the answers from within and, and experience it themselves so they can find their own way of, of understanding it. That is like as a coach. And that is what I love to do is just helping people connect to that themselves. Hmm. I have one other question around intuition and then just to be mindful of time, we'll probably we can, we'll... we can move off this topic. You guys are, you two are both satisfying my need to go deep on it. So thank you. <laughs> appreciate that. I wondered if you might talk a little bit, I, I think a big part of listening to your intuition is first like being quiet enough to hear it, right? Like there, there's an aspect of, I, I like this concept of via negativa or like the negative way, which you often see in like wisdom passes is there, there's an aspect and this usually comes first, right? And that's kind of terrifying, especially if you're you're new to this, but it's the saying no, it's the removing things. It's the kind of creating the emptiness or the space um, for these messages or these intuitions to come in. And I, I, I wonder if you could maybe talk to that aspect of listening to your intuition. All right. Well, of course, I'll talk about in the way that I'm hearing you. Um, and I will say that we really can't pick up our our intuition heart phone if we're not present, right? For us right now to have this conversation, we have to be present. I am not thinking about my son or what I'm doing later. You know what I mean? None of that. Yeah. I'm here present with you guys. And so I'm literally, my answer just are just channeling. They're flowing through me. And we kind of take that for granted, right? Yeah. Whether you're intuitive yeah. or not, 
if you're present, you're going to show up. And when you open your mouth, you just trust that the right words are going to come out. I used to think about what I had to say, what I wanted to say before I said it. And it made me stutter my words. It made me really insecure. I, that was me for so many years of my life. But, and then I learned mindfulness and I learned about being present and I learned about all the, just, just being in my body. Mm. And just trusting that if I open my mouth right now, the right words are going to come out because I'm speaking from my heart. I'm speaking for what, what feels really true for me. And if something doesn't, if I say something, I'm like, Ooh, that didn't feel right. I actually go back and I say, you know what? I don't mean that. I want to say that mm. over. And that's really important for us to acknowledge when we like, don't say the thing. We, we say something in the wrong way and go back and, and not try to fight it. That like defend that like, Oh, no, it was right. If you said the wrong thing, <laughs> then say it and acknowledge it. Um, but being in your body, really important. Um, and being grounded, you know, I know that's a concept that gets kind of thrown around a lot, but I was a very ungrounded person, mostly because like I didn't want to be plugged into this earth, into our society, into our world, because I'm so empathetic. I picked up on all the chaos and the stress and the pain of our world. And so I didn't want to be plugged in. So I believe that if I was literally grounded and I was a part of this world, then I would suffer greatly because of all the people suffering in this world. But actually I learned that when I'm plugged in, when I'm grounded, that is when I'm able to, the energy can move through me rather than get stuck in me. Okay. Mm. So it kind of went a little bit more, I'm not sure if I fully answered your question, but my like miracle of mindfulness when I first read that, just like practicing being present, how long can I stay present for? Um, and then that's, I think, why I love <clears throat> being around other people is because being around other people helps me stay present because I'm not thinking mm. about anything else. I'm just thinking about being in front of that person. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you uh, about the way you're expressing that. I think for me, the, a lot of this presence and something that really helped me tap into my intuition, well, two things now that I'm thinking about around body, but one was... Uh, Zen meditation. I, I started practicing Zazen in a fairly serious way. And later on, it was Vipassana. And that was part of this space creating for me, or that was a play, way of tuning into my body and by being still and, and, and watching. And I really think that kind of really got my intuition, like stepped it up quite a few notches. I think another one for me was uh, starting to seriously pay attention to my diet. I went plant-based. I stopped drinking alcohol, a lot of things. And that got me more in touch with my body because I also struggle with being grounded. That's a, I think that's a challenge for many HSPs, also a lot of intuitive types. And, and because in one way or another, they're very sensitive to the world around them. I have a hard time being in my body as well. And those were ways that helped bring me back into it. Yeah, to me, that was really that that was really some of the building blocks for for starting to follow my own intuition. I loved what you said about that's why you love being with people, because it makes you feel really present. I never thought about it this way, but it probably because I keep thinking about it in the lens of like, oh, mindfulness, sitting on the cushion, meditating, you know, and, and there's there's a lot of value to that. But I realize like some of the moments I'm most present are when I'm singing or when I'm engaging with other human beings that I care about. And it's weird because I never really thought that that would count as like presence or mindfulness because it's not silent because you're talking. But yeah, I, I that 
that was a big, uh, big game changer. I'm gonna have to chew on that one. Depth of processing. Mm. I'm just, uh, I'm just gonna <laughs> do that. <laughs> was a new seed, yeah. And maybe that's why I, I, I consider myself more extroverted these days. But if I took that Myers Briggs, like uh, maybe 10, 12 years ago, I, I most definitely scored with a strong I because mm-hmm. I didn't know other people where I could be so open and connected to. And as I surrounded myself with people where I could have that connection with, um, I was like, yeah, sure. I'm an introvert. I love being around people. So then I started checking like, yeah, I like being around people. It's engaging for me. But when I'm around certain people, certain family that like they're, they're not, they're probably not highly sensitive. We can't go into those deep conversations. I literally have said to myself, like, what's wrong with me? Like, I don't mm-hmm. have anything to say right now. Yeah. Just like, what's wrong? I am such a conversationalist and I literally have nothing to say. And I, to me, that's yeah. just an indicator that, you know, the, the connection's just not there and that's fine. And we're not going to feel that with everyone. Um, but, but yes, my, what I, I have a whole meditation program. And what I like to say is like, you can practice five or 10 minutes on a cushion. That's my extrovert meditation, right? You can practice the five, 10 minutes on meditation, but bring these meditations out in the world while you're waiting online, instead of being on your phone, can you just practice with your, having your feet on the ground, taking three deep breaths from your the top of your head down to your feet, right? Like, can you picture your heart and picture this light glowing in the center of your chest, right? Can you do all these, these med- different meditations that I share while you're out in the world, while you're living your life, instead of, because sometimes as an introvert, you can spend a lot of time isolating and hiding because we're like, no, I need this time to like, you know, to, to replenish and decompress. And I agree. I, I need a lot of time too, but I also know that it can be isolating it because I'm doing too much of that as well. Yeah. I think that's really good. I want to comment on something you said early on that, which I think is really uh, important is that question of is, what's wrong with me? Because I think that's a question that I think a lot of uh, sensitive types end up asking. And if why I think we get very passionate when we find things like, oh, uh, like the Myers-Briggs and understand like what it means to be an introvert or an introvert, uh, intuitive introvert. And the highly sensitive person uh, and Dr. Elaine Aaron's work is that it's, it's a question I was asking a lot of my life is what's wrong with me. And that's the wrong question. It's a flawed question. And I what's scary is that a lot of people probably never get beyond that question, never realize, oh, there's nothing wrong with you. You're just different. And you're in a society that has different values or you're in a family system that has different values and you're just different. That is such a game changer to realize there's nothing wrong with you and to realize you don't have to ask that question anymore and you can kind of own who you are. I mean, it, it changed my life. And uh, yeah. so I think it's yeah. a really powerful question. And just to bring in the whole mind-body connection, because I know that people are becoming more aware of that, um, I really do believe that really strong thoughts and beliefs can manifest physically in the body, especially if they get stuck. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I really found that people who say that a lot of like, what's wrong with me often develop some sort of autoimmune disorder. I'm not sure if that was true for you. That's me. Uh, Okay. Yeah. 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 So, so that's just part of that. And then like, you know, and then you live living with that as well. Yeah. And I've made a lot of connections as, uh, as you're alluding to around how my mentality is reflected in my disease. It's very similar in a lot of ways. Autoimmune attacks your own body. And if you have this mentality of of what's wrong with me, like it's a similar pattern. And yeah, I think 
Well said. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So, Roxanne, do you want to? I yeah, I wanna. I wanna. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I was I was thinking we're coming. We're about almost at time, and I just wanted as a way to wrap this up. Um, you you talk to me a lot about your decision to move back on the East Coast after living on the West Coast for a while. And I, maybe this isn't the right one, but I was just thinking, what is the what is the biggest decision that you made because of your intuition and that didn't necessarily make sense? Like, maybe it's that, mm -hmm. maybe it's not that, but I just, as a way to wrap up, I'd like to hear from your life story. Mm -hmm. So I made it to San Diego. I made it to the West Coast, like my manifest destiny, right? So white girl of me, right? <laughs> I have to acknowledge that my white girl yes, privilege. Please. So, so yeah, yeah I, to me, I was like, I made it to the, I made it to California, like sunshine, beaches, perfect weather, people. I was connecting and meeting people all the time. I loved it there. I finally felt like it could be me, and and yet Frank wasn't happy. My husband wasn't happy, and um, he was working many hours, and so he said to me, maybe we should move back to New York. And I was like, no effing way. Like, no, no, I'm not doing it. Like I made yeah. it like, I, this is the life I want to live. Right. Like this is the, what I've been dreaming of. And he's like, okay, just like, he didn't really push it. He just planted the seed. And of course, when he does that, he doesn't push it. Like I just, so I just soak it in. I think about it. I think about it. And I just kept asking my intuition about, you know, no, okay, we're gonna stay in San, we're gonna stay in San Diego. Where are we gonna live next? Like I was asking my intuition, where you know, and I I look at a map and then something usually lights up. Nothing was lighting up. Everything was just like dead space, nothing. It was just flat, two-dimensional, one-dimensional map. Mm. All of a sudden I asked my intuition, should we move back to New York? And all of a sudden, a flood of images of feelings my whole body was tingly I just saw like holidays and birthday parties and just like growing a family near near you know my my son's aunt and uncles and my and the grandmas and the grandpas and it's like all this energy come flooding through me and I was like fuck <laughs> <laughs> okay so the thing that I didn't say about the intuition is that your intuition always speaks to you with the lighter option And even though my mind was grasping onto this idea that I was a California girl, <laughs> um, it actually felt like the heavier option when I, when I kind of weighed them out. And moving to New York was the lighter option. And I never met, like New York always felt very heavy to me because it was the place where my story began as my ugly duckling self. And it was the place where I felt very misunderstood and I felt like I wasn't enough. So to kind of feel light about going back to New York, I think that was my time to like confront all of those things. Um, because I kind of said in one of my, my meetings with my girlfriends, you're like, what is your biggest fear? I was like, I don't have any fears. Like I'm good. And like, as soon as my husband said, let's move back to New York, boom, that was it. That was my fear was to confront my childhood, confront the place I, I grew up in, confront that identity that, you know, was the, the way that other people saw me versus, you know, how I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And 
And I, you know, I was like, I was like, Frank, no matter how I put this, my intuition says we have to move to New York. So guess what? We're moving to New York. And like literally within like a month and a half, two months, we packed, we sold our shit, packed up our car and we drove across the country with our two dogs and whatever, whatever was in our car. Wow. And we moved in with family and that was it. And it just, it, I, I swear it was, it was the best thing that we could have done because we are so happy beyond measure and now we're not actually living on long island where we were um that was just the two years to kind of pay off some debt and save money but we actually moved back to the place where we first met which is in college in new paltz is where we met so it's kind of like that hero's journey coming back to where we started and this is where we ended up buying a house and i just feel so grounded i feel so connected to my community this is the place that i want my children to, to be raised i know there's a lot of nature here there's a lot of many different you know it's very progressive but it's also very red <laughs> so we got all of it we got the whole spectrum of um you know ideas and but i want my kid to have that and you know it's not very culturally diverse that's the one thing um, but I know that we're going to travel a lot and I want my kids to be exposed to that. So, so yeah, that was one of the hardest things I had to make with my trusting my intuition. And it wasn't the thing I thought, <clears throat> but at the end of the day, it was the thing that was the best for mm. the, the long term in our life. Yeah. I think that's a great, that's a great example, uh, of, of how sometimes our intuition doesn't make sense and, or yeah, it doesn't make sense to the mind. And, uh, and sometimes it, and I think you can only see it making sense in hindsight. And I think that's what, you know, that's what makes it really hard to take that first step and wait for the next, you know, the next piece of information that that GPS is going to give you. And uh, it sounds like you made the right choice. Well, thanks for sharing, Karina. That's that's a great way to end it. And uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, it, this has been really, really fun. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really enjoyed our time today. I hope everyone who heard this received one takeaway. Um, and, you know, please, anyone can reach out, connect with me. I'm always here to connect. Great. And Karina, will you uh, just quickly share with anyone listening where they can find you? Yeah. So I have my podcast, the Highly Sensitive Leadership Podcast. Um, that's fun. Um, another fun thing is my YouTube channel. So I have a lot of videos I create in San Diego. So some of them I've gotten better at making videos over the years, but <laughs> you'll get some <laughs> of my early stuff too. Um, I have a Facebook group. Uh, it's called A Place for Highly Sensitive People. So um I have meetup groups all over the country, uh, Colorado, San Diego, New York. I used to have one in Hawaii, but I shut that one down. And it's also called A Place for Highly Sensitive People. And um, my goal is actually to found and create the Center for Highly Sensitive People up here in the Hudson Valley where I live in New York. And so having these meetups, um, I actually do a monthly Q&A for highly sensitive people. Like any question you have, bring to the Q&A. And I do that to collect donations to create the center. Because, you know, anything, if you want to create something, you got to have money behind it. And I really want, I know that if this is something people want, I want people to be a part of it. So whether they volunteer their time or they help donate, um, just know that the seed is planted to create an actual center. Um, and I I do have my co-working space, which is the current address of the center. But um, this is something I want to create. But just know that you can find me in person in one of my meetup groups, virtually over there. And then, of course, my website, which is like another thing, right? It's called synchronizewithin.com. 
And we'll share links to all those places in the show notes at thefaroutpodcast.com. Wow. Thank you so much. Toodles. Toodles. <laughs> Well, thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you. It's it's nice to have you here, and I, I hope uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. I know we went a little deep on some things, and there, there is some concepts we don't have a chance to really flesh out. <laughs> it, it was really really cool uh, to interview and spend time talking with Karina. We said like it, it really feels like we were in the same room all together, and uh, it was great. Yeah, Karina is a is a close friend, and. Uh, I also just really admire and uh, respect the work she's doing. Well, what do we say on these outros usually? What's the... I think it goes something like this. One, if this is your first time here, or maybe it's just your second or third, and you haven't already subscribed, why don't you push the button? Well, you haven't subscribed to the Far Out Podcast? Just push it. Just push it. Just push it. Push it. Push it good. (laughs) Number two... Yes, I did. Number two, if you have subscribed, well, first off, thank you. That's wonderful. You mean the world to us. Welcome to the fam. Yes. And You can just, yeah, you can share it with someone. Yeah, maybe share it. Just with one person. Maybe one person that might appreciate this conversation, who might get something from it. Let them know why you think they might and uh, share it with them and then maybe have a conversation about it. That would be cool. That does sound cool. Yeah. Number three. (laughs) If you've done those two things, or even if you haven't, and you just want to send some love, give us a review. Uh, yeah, leave us a review on iTunes. That, like, proper makes our days, and yeah. it's just awesome to read you. Yeah, it's the only reason, really, we're doing this podcast, <laughs> is just to get reviews about ourselves. <laughs> so just think about that for a moment, and if you feel that that's sad, leave us a review. <laughs> <laughs> All right, doodles. Toodles. Toodles.